Hello and welcome to The Science of Fiction. I'm Will. And I'm Andrew. And today we're joined by Trevor Woods. Hello. Trevor, who are you? Um, I am a mathematician, or I was. I did eight years of maths in the Fine University in Oxford, uh, but I moved to Cambridge to be an engineer. Uh, okay. So I've, I've turned my back turned my back on mathematics, but, but I still love it. Do you feel like you've betrayed your roots in some way by doing, by doing so? Um, no, I was always an applied mathematician, so the pure mathematicians always used to look down on me because I knew about things other than numbers anyway, so it's just more of the same really now. Okay, so so what 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 is the trajectory? What kind of maths did you study? Uh, well, I started off doing fluid dynamics, um, so things like the Navier-Stokes equations, which are one of the million-dollar problems, uh, if you can solve them, if you're a very, very clever mathematician. Uh, but then I moved into a mix of statistics and set theory, uh, which was for solving radar and sonar problems. There's set theory in, in sonar problems? There, there is a little bit, because um, because you don't, if you're in your submarine and you're looking out and you're worrying if, um, you know, the, the Russians are out there in their submarine, because it's the Cold War, um, you, you don't know how many submarines there are out there, and you don't know where they are, so you've got a set to determined, you don't know how many elements are in it, so... It's so set theory is all the, like, drawing Venn diagrams with overlapping circles? Yes, it's a little bit like that. Intersections, that's an intersection, or the co- the combination is the is the union, yes. And presumably you've now wound up in something related to this? Yes, um, looking at, uh, amongst other things, uh, a new radar system uh, for, for uh, being in wind farms, where radar doesn't work at the moment. Oh, huh, exciting. Oh, that's a problem. Yes, yeah, so, so apparently a lot of the wind farm developments are being held up by the fact that if you put it near an airport, there can be no no radar there. So this is a big problem. Another thing is it really confuses bats. It does confuse. I've heard that. I don't know. I don't know about that. Though it has two reasons it confuses bats. One's it messes up their sonar going from there back to areas. The other problem is the pressure change from the propellers causes them to explode. That doesn't sound so great. It's not healthy to bats. So, so nice. Far from being about exploding bats, today's theme, as we will dis- you'll discover shortly, is mathematics and mathematicians. More on that story after the song. You and I buy star maps and drive my car around Los Angeles. You and I buy star maps and ding dong ditch a televangelist. It's only been a week, but I know that you are my key. Detector. I drive a thousand miles an hour. I won't go on and on. But you are always looking out for me. You and I go shopping and find exactly what we're looking for. You and I go Detector. I drive a thousand miles an hour. I won't go on and on. You are always looking out for me because.
detector. I drive a thousand miles an hour and I won't go on and on and on and you are always looking out for me. fm.co.uk on air and online your cam fm hello and welcome back to the science of fiction that was radar detector as i think the chorus made relatively clear by darwin dees and yeah if you have any comments do remember to email them into studio at camfm.co.uk or you can um, use that little web form clicky thing underneath the online player if that's how you're listening or you can also text cam plus your message to 80809 and text cost 10p so trevor I understand you used to spend some time working on talking about the history of Sonar. I did, yeah. I Does it tend to be mostly factual or mostly fictional? Entirely factual, but with lots of kind of links to, to cool stuff in fiction, I think. So, I, I mean, I guess there, there, there are some obvious examples, like the Titanic hit something which perhaps I could have avoided with better radar? No, you've, 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 you've misguessed, actually. You've misguessed. We should start with bats, I think, when they're not exploding. Okay, bats in solid form. Bats, bats in solid form, but but not all bats, only micro-bats. So if you've been to Sydney and you've seen the big flying foxes, they don't have sonar because they just eat fruit and it doesn't move very much. So you don't you don't need sonar. I'm going to ask you a technical question now. Aren't there AM and FM bats? I don't know about that. I think some of you look stupid. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Wait, what? Like, just, like, just like AM and FM radio? Yeah, different bats have different ways of generating their signal pulse. And they do two different ways. And I can't remember what it is. I think it's AM and FM, but it might be... A, this is one, if the listeners know, uh, we might Wikipedia it in the next song. But there's basically two pulse types for bats have. And it allows you to, to work out what, sort of their, which tree of bat evolution we've gone down. It would down. help them from overlapping each other, wouldn't it? They don't want to crowd out their, their spectrum. <laughs> you think some kind of bat registry? Where I, each, I think each, that's exactly registers its frequency range. Yeah. And they're going to do some kind of mass digital switchover, <laughs> and it's going to be a disaster. All the old bats are going to have to get like uh, old bats uh, set set top boxes. <laughs> it's going to be a disaster. <laughs> well, they got to do a Fourier transform, I think. Anyway, haven't they? So they they got to be up with this stuff. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's, it's Darwinian. And those who can't deal with the digital switchover. Yeah, that's much like what happens to old people. <laughs> I can't coronation shooting countdown. Listeners, I do not advocate this. <laughs> what? Digital switchovers in areas of old people. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> well, they'll, they'll be exploding old people in a minute, and that won't be that won't be good for anyone. So, but there's also so we have bats, bats that and dolphins. We shouldn't forget dolphins either, and and, and underwater mammals as well. So, so we, we got all of them. They got there first, but not many people know that the human who first had the idea was Leonardo da Vinci. Okay. He was in Venice, and he had the idea that he would put a, a pipe, a tube, into the the ocean, and then he could hear the oncoming vessels quicker. So, Leonardo da Vinci invented sonar. Is this one of the many things that he invented but didn't actually build? He all he needed was it was a tube. Okay. This is passive sonar. So he was just listening uh, under the water. It's underwater acoustics. It's not what you're thinking about with bats. Pick, pings and pinging, pinging yeah. out. But the first uh, human active sonar was um, a patent was filed for something. People were hoping to discover the wreck of the Titanic because it was so big. It would be a big kind of. It was much higher above the seabed, so that they would be swimming around the Atlantic in a boat. Uh, okay. Swimming in the boat. They've got swim, a leak. Oh, 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 swimming <laughs> tied like, to the boat. Like the Royal Caribbean but, but, cruise. 
Yeah, pulling the boat along. <laughs> uh, no, they've got an on- onboard pool. But oh. when they're not doing that, they're pinging down and hoping to find to find the Titanic down there. Oh. They didn't do that, but then the First World War broke out, so there were other applications for being able to locate stuff underwater with sonar. Huh. So the invention of sonar predated the invention of submarines? It, uh, well, the invention of, of sonar for detecting yeah. submarines underwater. Yeah, absolutely. Huh. Whereas, I, I guess, it was, was radar mostly invented for wartime purposes? I, I, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. There's an awful lot that I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's true of all of us. I guess there, there was um, a, t- a Tom Clancy novel, I think, called *The Hunt for Red October*, which, yes. was, which was all about like hunting for this like missing re- missing Russian submarine. Which also was made into a movie with um, Sean Connery. Sean Connery oh, and really? a young, thin Alec Baldwin, who who was very attractive Whoa. in that film by comparison with his older Thirty Rock persona. And presumably, he was not playing. A, he wasn't playing the same kind of deadpan, a ridiculous character. He was Jack Bauer, I think, was the ba- uh, the basic character. I think Twenty Four kind of ripped off this um, this Tom Clancy character. Huh. Uh, but also, Sean Connery in that film plays um, a Russian with a very thick Scottish accent. I seem to remember. He's, he speaks half in Russian and half in English with a very thick Scottish accent. So, so perhaps he kind of he kind of grew up on the uh, on the border and spent a lot of time on the coast and spent a lot of time, you know, trading that, with, with, with with Russia. That might that might explain Across it. Across the know. Arctic Ocean, it was a little bit silly at times. All this hidden story about spies. Okay, let's leave, let's leave it at that. Um, so. Next up for for our glorious listeners, um, we have the wonderful genre of math rock for your listening pleasure.
Welcome back, and that was Ice Cream by Battles from their new album. Ma- um, so that's kind of the one of the best examples of radio-friendly math rock. Like normally we get math rock songs which are about you know 20 minutes long, and you can't listen to them because there's guitars everywhere. Should so, we say what math rock is? Maybe yeah, not everyone knows. What is math rock? I think Trevor, you seem better placed to answer this than me. I was going to say the, I was going to say the same, but okay. So it's uh, I guess math rock is um, weird uh, percussion and tempos and rhythms all kind of fighting each other in a complex way. Is that what math rock is? I think I, yeah, that sounds that sounds pretty much what I would, what I would expect. To describe it's not as. music necessarily by mathematicians, but I think mathematicians kind of tend to like that kind of weird those weird structures. Yeah, like, there's lots of you know like f- finger tapping on guitars and everything being kind of angular and in you know twenty seven four and stuff. Yeah, so you know. So it is, it is geeky people making music is where it came from? I think mu- people making music for geeky people, at very least, yeah. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Radiohead are always good for bizarre time signatures. Yeah. Yes. I'm, not, I'm not really sure that they, they, they fall into the, the math rock umbrella. Oh, no, I, well, I wasn't putting them there, but it's just where I remember them. If you wanted some really good bizarre time signature. Pyramid Song. My, my, a drummer in a previous band of mine never, never ever worked out what time signature Pyramid Song was in. <laughs> I don't, I don't know, because I'm not a drummer. Did but. You, but did you try to cover it? No, no, that would be very, very silly. That would, that would probably be disastrous. Yeah. So, yeah, just to clarify on the Bat AM FM uh, digital switchover issue, we did do a quick Google, and I've also wrote about FM Bats, but the other one that's called CF Bats, and they use a continuous frequency, which allows them to tell the velocity of the um, food they're trying to eat. Bats are incredible creatures. Because of the Doppler shift. It's a constant pitch, a constant uh, frequency thing, and if it's shifted up, they're coming fast towards you. So that's a bit like when you stand in front of an ambulance, you hear it make a different noise because it's going towards you. But they're doing that, remember, while they're flying, 
and the thing they're trying to catch is also flying. So and they it's can ti- catch it. And it's tiny. And and it's tiny, and they're going to try and catch that in midair. Also, I don't recommend standing in front of ambulances. No. No. Yeah. So, while we're on top the topic of otherworldly beings, I hear you think some mathematicians come across as being, or at least, at least are portrayed as being kind of alien, you know, alien intelligences or something. Yeah, so I wanted to talk about mathematicians rather than maths, because I think there's, there's a lot of interesting, weird stuff in, in film in particular, and, and also uh, other, other kinds of fiction about the way mathematicians are portrayed. And I, I think that one of the main traits is they're kind of, as you say, viewed as if they've been kind of beamed to us from another planet. So, the first example I thought of was The Oxford Murders. I don't know if anyone saw this film. It was about um, a killer who was sending mathematical symbols with his murders. Oh, okay, so it was like one one part of an equation or whatever, and if you f- found all his murders, you'd, he'd, he'd have solved some theorems. He, he was giving no. He was giving you a pattern, and he, the idea was that if you'd figured out the pattern, you might be able to predict the next killing. So, uh, of course, the first thing the police did. I don't even remember that much of the film. I think the police then brought in a mathematician to help them solve the pattern, to okay. help them predict the next murder. It's actually a series of several, as in there are several books by the same authors in Oxford. Huh. I, yes, I uh, forgotten is my wife's read loads of them. I've never read one or seen a movie. Dear listeners, is it, have you have you read the others? Are they, are they worth reading? To my wife, could you turn on the radio? And <laughs> <laughs> Just turn it in. Um, but but so, so something that really kind of annoyed me about this thing was the portrayal of the mathematician. There's one scene in particular where he's he's in a squash court on his own. He's playing and he's got all kind of circles and squares drawn in the squash court. And he's hitting the ball and his his girlfriend comes in and says, "Why have you done all this?" And he says, oh, "I've I figured the perfect way to play squash." And she says, "But what if there's a second person?" He just kind of looks <laughs> blankly like that hadn't occurred to me, not one bit. And it kind of this portrayal of like mathematicians is so far from the plane the rest of us are on, they can't even realise there's two players in a squash game. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess there, there, there are there are edge cases where this, that, that might almost be true, but maybe not in sort of the le- level of you know not missing the fundamental part of the rules of squash. I think I think this kind of thing of breaking things down to the most fundamental parts is exactly what maths does, and maybe ignores some of the fine intricate details. So. Mm-hmm. This is the same thing that people joke about physicists and spherical chickens in a vacuum. Yeah, it, it, it's the same. Yeah, well, if, if that captured the, the, the main thing, that'd be fine. But in squash, one of the main things is that there are two players. I don't think, I don't think any mathematician would be so socially and kind of worldly yeah. inept that they would do that. But it's the, kind, it's the idea that comes across that. I'm not also, I've never come across a spherical chicken. No. That's capable of playing squash. No. No. But I mean, I guess like m- mathematicians murdering people is not actually unheard of in the real world. What? Talking about, I mean, the real, real world from a very long time ago. Like, uh, supposedly, Pythagoras um, or some of Pythagoras's followers murdered someone who thought that the square root of two must be rational. I, I no, I think I, I heard it the other way around. I don't know if this is true, but but the, the story goes that um, I, I can see how the idea of a number being irrational might be against a kind of beautiful universe. So it'd be nice if all the numbers could be ratios of all the whole numbers, but they. They proved that it wasn't, and Pythagoras didn't want this to get out because it was against his his weird cult thing, and ha- either had them silenced or killed. That's how I heard it, anyway. Hmm. I have to go investigate that one. It could well be just an, a bizarre rumour that makes good stories. Wasn't it? Was Riser of RiserFS? Was he a mathematician or was he just a computer programmer? He was a uh, he, he was a computer scientist. Uh, but he did go and murder his wife, didn't he? Yeah, if, if, and and he's referring to a uh, Linux programmer who um, was notoriously hot headed, and then unfortunately it transpired he actually murdered his wife, which is it was really bizarre because like, for ages he was like a really popular he wrote a really popular file system. Like overnight, people stopped using it because he murdered his wife. Um, I'm not sure that's quite an accurate, accurate portrayal, but it's kind of a it's kind of a sad end to a. Uh, like, otherwise quite you know, relatively distinguished um, 
life as a software engineer to end up in jail for well, and as a sad end to the to the life of his wife. I don't know. It was weird. It was a very strange story. You think computer programs are nice people? He got flyer than Phil Spector. I think we still all listen to Phil Spector records, don't we? No, no, the same backlash hasn't happened against him. Did he murder his wife? He murdered someone, didn't he? I think that he's still alive. We better be careful if it's not true. I, I think Phil Spector may have killed someone. He's definitely in prison for something. Allegedly. Allegedly. He, allegedly he did that. And I don't think anyone boycotts any com- his records. If you have any complaints, send them to Trevor. Not to <laughs> us. Um, <laughs> or if you just want to join in the discussion, because I really want to know now if Phil Spector has or hasn't killed anyone. Uh, studio at camfm.co.uk. All the web form at the bottom of the page. So there we go. I think we've summed up that all mathematicians are totally insane and um, just quite unhinged. It might murder you at any moment. And the things people do for love, eh? Yeah.
calmfm.co.uk on air and online your calmfm Welcome back. That was about two-thirds of Love and Mathematics by Broken Social Scene. Uh, we decided that perhaps you've heard enough ambient uh, post-rock. <laughs> it's, it's, it's possible. So 0.6 recurring yeah. of that song. Some, some proportion. And, and this makes it math rock, uh, <laughs> intrinsically. So um, one kind listener has done our research for us and said that, has quoted, after about 30 hours of deliberation, a jury on Monday convicted music pr- producer Phil Spector of second-degree murder in the death of actress L- Lana Clarkson. Ah, Mike Roach. You signed your name. Thank you. Um, so, this is not libelous. Phil Spector really did kill someone. Yeah. So, well, that wasn't this Monday, though, was it? No, that was a news story that came out. Yes. Yeah, I, I just yeah. want to check. That, that, I thought it was a while ago, so I'll just check it. We haven't somehow psychically tapped into Phil Spector's criminal acts. A jury on a Monday convicted. Yeah. yeah. Music producer Phil, Spe- Phil, Phil, Phil Spector. Excellent. I, excellent. So, yeah, so keep emailing in using that cool web form thingy. If you haven't worked out where it is yet just look at the online player look down a bit and there's a white box type stuff in there and hit send and it comes straight into the studio by the magic of technology or bats carrying messages and um, the other thing you can do of course is just email studio at camfm.co.uk so yes here we are. So, um, what, I guess what one film which is a like, pretty prominent example of um, a mathematician in fiction is A Beautiful Mind. Yes, not in fiction. Well, you know, I think, I, I don't know if the portrayal was entirely accurate, but it was a big, it, big it, it was a, film. F- a fictionalised portrayal yes. of a real mathematician. Uh, John Nash, who... Um, who was, of course, of course, a brilliant mathematician. Um, I've been thinking about mathematicians as madmen, you know, madmen in, in inverted commas. Uh, J- John Nash had, I think, paranoid schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. Um, it, this was kind of voices f- from, from the, the, the book I read on him, uh, voices in his head. Um, but in, in the film, it kind of manifests itself as from very young age, he kind of has a, uh, an imaginary friend I mean, who like, follows him around, quite jovially, I think, in the film, yeah. I guess imaginary friends are a lot easier to portray than someone's internal internal voices. I, th- I think that's it. I think it's hard to, to get mental illness across accurately in the film. I guess uh, that's how they chose to, to get it. So, and also perhaps hard to get it across across in a non kind of negative and creepy light. Like, like he, he, he's he's portrayed in quite a, a positive light in the film. Yeah. And I guess like having ghostly voices would have made it harder to do that. Yeah. So House actually only this week had an episode with uh, schizophrenic girl in, and it, it just annoyed me. It was that standard portrayal of someone with multiple personalities, but done as if they'd multiple people living in the same person which isn't how it really is it's far more complex as you say it's it's hearing voices and not realizing they're actually your own thoughts and things like that so uh, so I, I kind of i think the interesting question is um does this kind of madness go along with genius I, i've got a quote here from from john nash that said that um uh, where is it written down he said that if he thought in a more normal way he wouldn't have had as many good scientific ideas so I mean this, this is quite it's, it's quite a kind of common kind of background thought people seem to have about geniuses right and certainly the scientists being uh, suffering from Asperger syndrome is something you hear again and again and again I don't know if there's any truth in that except there may be a correlation rather than a causation I don't know if it's just scientists though because I, I, I don't know if there's a similar thing with biologists or chemists to the same extent so I saw a film Splice I don't know 
if anyone saw that about two kind of top level biologists and they're kind of treated as rock stars in the logic of the film and I think if they'd have been mathematicians I don't think it would have been portrayed the same way I think this is kind of unique to mathematicians and maybe physicists yeah well chemists are seen as terrorists because they make explosives I, I, I've, I've never thought that, but I don't it know. Definitely, in most movies, yeah. chemists only turn up to make explosive, cut drugs, or some other. Uh, chemists don't do legal jobs. Inception, the guy was kind of drugs to make them fall asleep, wasn't it? Yep. So that's a good example. And, and, and in Pi, the guy was a um, was a trader, I think. A Pi by. Um, what, what's his name? The, the, he made loads of great Aaron films. Aronofsky. Aronofsky. Darren yeah. Aronofsky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, the the um, the protagonist there was I think he I think he was some kind of stock trader who gradually started seeing patterns in very in much numbers. like John Nash in in, in my favourite scene in Beautiful Mind. John Nash is looking up at the stars. It's quite a romantic moment, and he says, "I can see this picture here. I can see that picture there." And his future wife is there. It's very romantic. Of course, it gets turned on its head because later he can see patterns in too many things. He thinks there's a conspiracy against him and the things he's looking at. I think he thought that all the people with red ties were communists, uh, this kind of thing. So, so it kind of turned its head there. And in Pi as well, this guy thinks that a number he's seen has the clue of the universe, and he ends up putting a drill into his brain, I think, at the there end are, of the film. Yeah, th- There were some pretty disturbing scenes in this that, film. That sounds pretty disturbing. It, it is a very disturbing but film. And these more more mad mathematicians. There's another one in uh, the film Fermat's Room. Um, a mad mathematician locks some other mathematicians in a room that gets smaller and smaller every time they don't solve a math problem correctly. And this, that, 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 that was also done kind of in Cube. In Cube yeah. I, I knew you were going. I don't know why. I just suddenly went, it's going to get to Cube. So, but Cube was the um, sort of I'm trying to think of the correct word for it. The there was, autistic. There was, there was, yeah, an autistic there was an autistic, autistic man whose and presence, whose presence in the everyone was in the cube for a reason. They gradually figured out, and his reason was that he could solve. He could tell if numbers were prime or not extremely quickly. quickly. Is this a spoiler? Probably. Um, <laughs> no, but, it's not but, that but, good a movie. Yeah, but but again, that was you know showing that you know you have to have this kind of slanted view on on the world or like to have like slanted like thought processes to be you know, a genius mathematician well there was there's, there's real life examples there, as well as as well as John Nash um, uh, Cantor and Godel uh, were both um, mathematicians that dealt with kind of the concepts of infinity and sets and they both had um, I think they both ended up in mental hospitals at, at some point towards the end of their career they had both had trouble with life there's a, a very good documentary called Dangerous Knowledge which is a BBC documentary about the two of them mm-hmm. so we, we've got some real life verification of this but we're looking at edge cases here I think yeah I guess I guess you know there isn't going to be a genre of you know documentaries about mathematicians who did not end up in mental institutions but so I, I would give us an example of how prevalent uh, prevalent <laughs> this kind of trope is is that um, I don't know if anyone watches the Big Bang Theory um, uh-huh. I'm very torn on Big Bang Theory but um, in the first episode uh, Penny goes into their apartment and sees lots of kind of equations on their blackboards or whiteboards and she says oh you're like one of these crazy beautiful mind guys huh. that's the first thing she says when they're kind of a establishing the show so I think it's so kind of driven into the public consciousness that that's the the only you know reference that you would make you and, know. And, and it's all you need to completely typecast all of these characters yeah pretty, I, uh, pretty much immediately and so this leads to something we were talking about um, the other day, which is the film Straw Dogs, uh, starring uh, Dustin Hoffman as a professor of mathematics who goes to a small town and kind of eventually gets, uh, you know, forced into into violence. Uh, and it's kind of, you know, it's, it's not his fault. And you kind of you're really rooting for him the whole way through this film. And they remade it recently for 
some reason, I, I don't know why. Because all films need to be re- remade every 20 There's years. no new ideas. So they remade it and they replaced him with a screenwriter, I think. And so I think the reason they got rid of the mathematician is that I think they thought the audience would, would say when he got driven to violence at the end, well, of course, he was a mathematician. Right. So I've as, seen as, this as if before. that explains everything away. I think it would. I think they thought that the being a mathematician had too much baggage to be a character in any other way. Which is which, which is sad yeah. well, that it's come to that. So I guess we need, we need more, more films portraying, you know, mathematicians who are ordinary people, but also, you know, do, do great or terrible things in these films. I mean, just, just, just as a listener has written in to point out that in films, computer scientists are always hackers. And it only takes them five seconds. Absolutely. Holly, are you a hacker? Do tell us. Um, yeah, so the thing about... Uh, mental illness I think is quite interesting or quite sad is you you know one thing I do know is about one in four one in three people across the UK will have suffered from mental illness during their lives is the quote you often get trumped about but actually I remember a while ago um, in the Guardian uh, Laurie Penny was writing an article about mental illness and she had the figures for Oxbridge saying that one in three students are currently suffering at Oxbridge from mental illness so that's actually quite significantly higher than in the population if we're talking about a space of three years a third of the people there are currently suffering from a mental illness is that are currently versus will ever yeah in those two statistics wow that's quite sober. That kind of ties in with what I saw at my time at Oxford as well, actually. That sounds, that sounds reasonable to me. Yeah, and, and that, of course, I don't know if that's biased between different subjects, but it shows you that when you push someone under the academic pressure, and subject aside, that there clearly are things that start breaking. Yeah, I guess it's you know, the, the introversion and, intro- and so on, which like, humans maybe weren't really built for. I don't think evolution made you learn maths equations. And, and the difference with maths, unlike the other sciences, in the scientific method, you have to go and make an experiment and look at the real world. This is actually something that maths never requires you to do. Right. So maybe maths is different. Maybe, maybe there's a reason behind it. And maybe you just focus on yourself. Strictly from the dance 
call Stuffy And from me, myself, and I It's just me, myself, and I It's just me, myself, and I It's just me, myself, and I Glory, glory, hallelujah Glory for plug one and two That glory's been denied By cassettes and gooky eyes Think they diss my person by stating I'm darkly packed. I know this, so I point at Q-tip and he stays black as black. Mirror, mirror on the wall, shovel chestnuts in my path. Please keep all nuts with the nuts so I don't get an aftermath. But if I do, I'll calmly punch them in the fourth day of July. Cause they try to mess with third degree, that's me, myself, and I. Nah. Me, myself, and I It's just me, myself, and I It's just me, myself, and I Your station, your Cambridge, your Cam FM. Welcome back. That was Me, Myself and I by De La Soul. So I don't think I've heard that since the late 80s. I don't think I've heard it ever, actually. You've heard uh, Three is a Magic Number, which is my other choice, though, I imagine. I've probably heard it, but I, it, that hasn't really stuck in my mind. Oh, I'd, I'd sing it now, I'd be a bit embarrassed, so let's move on. Have you ever wanted to perform hip-hop live on the radio? Absolutely not. Okay, maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe some other time. Yeah. I, I don't think I've got the complexion to do hip-hop. Mm, sure, you can, you can. Why not? Why not? I'm sure, I'm sure it'll be grand. So um, we've kind of t- t- talked a bit about mathematicians portrayed as you know being kind of crazy in films. So I guess there, there, there are a bunch of characters who are sort of un- unlikely mathematicians or um, people who aren't trained as mathematicians but sort of end up sort of having this ability they just can't contain. I think this is uh, I think this is the other trope is kind of a mathematician being someone who just has it so natural to them they don't even need to think about it kind of like a god-given ability so uh, the best example is probably goodwill hunting everyone's seen that I think right so this guy is just um, played by Matt Damon and he's just a, a janitor in the university and he's kind of mopping the floor and sees the uh, sees the maths problem on the on the, on the blackboard. Oh right because the professor has set has set a really difficult problem for his class to solve. Yeah, if you solve this problem, your your postdoc is 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 fixed after your your doctorate is fixed after you finish. You'll be in this exclusive club, and and Matt Damon kind of solves it secretly at night. He's got no formal training in maths, but he's just got this kind of natural talent. And uh, and I wonder exactly where this comes from. I think it may be that some people find maths so difficult and alien that. It's, it seems only natural that those people that can do it is because it's natural to them, it's been given to them and not to other people, right, maybe? Right, they kind of have to learn it painfully as everyone else has to learn mathematics. Yeah. It has to just come to them in a dream. They, they don't realise that to kind of study maths, you basically spend two years doing completely boring work, actually. It's really, really, yeah. really boring. If I remember correctly, you have to prove that one's greater than naught. Well, that's... I mean, if, you, if you're a pure mathematician, you might work up to proving that one is greater than naught over a number of years. <laughs> See, to me, that that's ridiculous. No, it's not, because I'm, I understand maths enough, but certainly the 
trying to explain it to someone, I wouldn't want to. Yeah, this is this is this is yeah. this was this was the problem of being. I guess you had the same problem of being a math undergrad and people saying, "So what have you been studying?" Like, well, you know, today I've been learning that um, numbers are either positive, negative, or zero. You know, that's, you know, I mean, admittedly, that was kind of first week stuff, but even so, it's like a year of definitions and basic concepts, and you and you, you you this all builds up, and eventually you get to some interesting things with it. But when you hear your friends talking about playing with you know liquid nitrogen in the lab, you feel a bit left out, actually. And yet, supposedly there are there are people who, with no formal training, kind of like Matt Damon's character, actually managed to. Like be, be self-taught, I suppose. Uh, so this guy Ramanujan uh, was um, was a, a completely gifted child prodigy. He was working as a clerk in Madras and posting scraps of his work to to the top universities. Um, a mathematician here at Cambridge, whose name I forget, uh, read one of these, realised that uh, what he was looking at was the work of a genius. Uh, called him over to Trinity College, and he worked here for just ten years of of, of maths. And unfortunately, he died. Um, he didn't take enough care of himself. I, th- I, I think. Uh, got too involved with his work and and died very young which is a great loss but so so there are examples this guy obviously had just a very natural talent and was able to accomplish some incredible things I I wonder if it was was him there's a a story I read in uh, as an aside and it's the taxi number story the taxi number story exactly uh, where supposedly a a, a mathematician who I I believe may have been Ramanujan was uh, lying on his deathbed and he asked someone coming to visit him what number the the license plate on the taxi they'd driven there in had been and the guy said oh you know it's an uninteresting number blah 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 and Ramanujan and said, no, no, it's a very interesting number. It's the first number, which is, you know, the, the, the sum of two primes greater than so-and-so or something. Which is definitely sort of from the, you know, inspiration out of nowhere yeah. school of mathematics. It does kind of remind me though, of a joke about Einstein and his driver. Uh, so Einstein's driver was driving from lecture to lecture and eventually his driver said, look, Einstein, I've heard this talk so many times, I could give it now. So um, Einstein goes, well, why don't you? So they go to the next <laughs> city, and his driver sits up front and starts giving a talk, and at the end he answers all the questions because he's heard them all before. And one gentleman asks him a really, really good question that he's never heard before, and he just turns around and says, well, I'll tell you what, this question's so easy, I'll let the grey-haired gentleman at the back answer it for you. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I don't know why that reminded me of that, but I, I do like that joke. Um... So yeah, uh, this well, also I, mean, I guess I guess you know, we, we spoke a bit about a bit about the earlier, but Sheldon in the Big Bang Theory definitely comes across as this kind of you know. He's always talking about how when he was on the farm in Texas and he was eight years old, he was you know already doing this and that without having any formal training. So and yet he he kind of brags about it, whereas you know definitely um, Will Hunting um, doesn't brag about his ability. He's very embarrassed about it. So you put on my notes here. Bacon Erdos numbers. So, what, what is that? I assume it has nothing to do with pig products. No, I haven't capitalised bacon, which must make it quite confusing. Nor, uh, nor have you put a diuresis on the E of Erdos. No, that's right. Um, uh, this is this is unacceptable. Trevor. Are people aware of uh, Kevin Bacon numbers? So this is this is the thing where you where you Kevin Bacon has a has a number of zero, and then anyone who's been in a film with Bacon has a number of one. And anyone who's been in a film with someone who's been in a film with Bacon has a number of two, and so on. It's, well, actually, this is this is quite topical now. I think of it because it used to be called six degrees of separation. And the idea was that the average actor would have six degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon. It was a social networking problem. And I recently read that the average separation is now four because of Facebook and increased interactivity. Well, yeah. Was this the Facebook release thing where they got actually 3.75 or something? That's, that's yeah. about right, yeah. And... Yeah, there was a really nice uh, bit of re- sort of response to this by Matt Parker, our stand-up maths uh, part of the Festival Spoken Nerd, and he put it in the Guardian, basically pointing out that the only trouble with that was that 
it's kind of suggests that you know someone just because you're friend at Facebook, and it's a wonderful publicity stunt by Facebook. It's connected people, but in reality, loads and loads of people are friends with certain celebrities on Facebook, and they never ever have spoken to them. I've got I some th- ridiculous friends on Facebook. Nick Clegg is one of my friends on Facebook, and equally, it, I sho- felt sorry for him. it shows that the degree of connectedness among Facebook users averages three point nine or whatever. <laughs> and there's a, a lot of people in the world who don't have access to Facebook. That's true, yeah. So, which is actually really good because recently, a while ago, someone released a picture of all the connections on Facebook as a map of the world with like white dots of people and blue lines between them, and it's a really pretty map. And someone recently overlaid that with the NASA image of where lights are switched on at night because you can get the pictures of. Uh, oh, you fascinating. Get a, um, taken from space at night. Yeah. yeah. And then wow. you patch it all together and you get a globe with all where the populations are with electricity, which is where most populations are these days. And you can see where Facebook is compared to where populations is. And basically, most of Africa has electricity now and a large amount of Russia does and doesn't have Facebook. You can see brilliantly from that picture. Uh, it was also China and Brazil, but it was because, uh, I, I seem to remember, because they have competitors to Facebook that are very popular. Right. Awkward is extremely popular in um, Brazil, I, I think. Is that Google, the one Google bought up? Yeah. Uh, I think so. They, they they bought it, and it's extremely popular in I think Brazil and India and almost nowhere else. So they can't turn it off, even though they have their new, their, their new awesome new dancing Google Plus because it's actually you know, incredibly popular and sells a lot of adverts. And they don't want to lose any any ground to Facebook. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's uh, that strange. Google's inability to sell social networking when they got one that's successful in two continents but not in others is weird. I guess it just highlights the um, how. Um, like real life, real life social groupings matter in social networks on the internet, and how you can't really force the issue. It's so interesting. It's we we could all we could all turn our Facebook so we could kill it in a weekend, couldn't we? I think mate, is that something we can start here from this radio show? Yeah, I think oh. I, th- I think so. A campaign. Did you know though we could also cure AIDS in six months? How so? If everyone in the world stopped having sex for about six months, the infectivity rate drops massively after the first sort of few months of having it, and it would massively short down, uh, cut down AIDS, and then it would be. You could probably get out of the population. There's no one's worked a way of stopping people having sex. There's a prisoner's dilemma kind of argument in here somewhere. What? N- well, no. Maybe not. No, I, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm just wrong. I was, try- I was trying to sound smart, and I'm trying to sound smart in a room full of people who know what they're talking about. So, But, you know, the, the prisoner's dilemma is all about, you know, um, everyone having to take on trust that everyone else is taking the, appro- the, 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 the good course of action. Yes. Yeah. And not being selfish and saying, well, everyone else is doing the right thing, so I, can, so I can do the wrong thing. But the difference with the prisoner's dilemma and not having sex is one's about getting out of prison and one's about, mm, for six months. Yeah, fair point. Maybe it's more important to other people than me. So that conclusion, uh, we should all stop using Facebook for six months and see what happens. I think so. You heard it here first, people.
97.2 camfm.co.uk on air and online your camfm Welcome back. And as one listener already guessed, that was the Jurassic Park theme, or rather the Jurassic Park themes, plural. Yes, yeah, so the listener who guessed was asking, would it be possible to bring back the dinosaurs, presumably in a Jurassic Park way, uh, or even bring the creature back to life just by having a small amount of DNA? So the answer is we're not there yet for a dinosaur, because dinosaurs are quite complicated, but people have once, very embarrassingly, one guy managed to rebuild smallpox at home um, by ordering all the DNA off the internet. And the great thing about DNA for viruses you just need to inject it into a human cell and then it starts making smallpox they now have things in place to stop people doing that because that was a reporter trying to prove a point so uh, so the answer is yes but it, not true well the one which is quite interesting is bringing back the mammoth because we have elephants and that means you can inject you can pull out the elephant DNA and put in the mammoth DNA and you might be able to get that to grow inside an elephant and then you've got the vessel for it to grow in because that's the problem with dinosaurs is it's not like a single cellular organism you actually you need to make an egg and these this and all the stuff to make the egg is part of a dinosaur you haven't got yet but you sort of could get a, di- a dinosaur and egg problem if you like yes a dinosaur and egg <laughs> problem but, but sp- I mean, speaking of dinosaurs there was a um, there was one, one character in uh, Jurassic Park who kind of some of these trope boxes. The, the best ever mathematician in fiction, maybe Jeff Goldblum's character in uh, in Jurassic Park. He was a chaos theorist who was just there, I think, to use uh, chaos theory was a big buzzword in the end uh, of the eighties when Michael Crichton wrote the book. And so I think just to kind of show how hip Michael Crichton was, so and just a, to, a token character, a completely token character, a completely tangential kind of direction to the plot. But good to see a kind of hip mathematician in yeah, there. I enjoyed that. We talked about chaos theory with Niraj a, a few weeks ago. ago. So yeah. if it's still on the website. People can listen to that. I guess circling back to something earlier, just briefly, um, Alan Turing is a famous mathematician from the past, and you said there was a film Enigma. A film Enigma. Well, so Alan Turing famously, it's been in the news, I think, recently, um, to do with Bletchley Park, which I think Google or Facebook had just bought. Okay. Um, but anyway, so Alan Turing was a codebreaker in uh, Bletchley Park during the Second World War, a great mathematician. Uh, some would say the father of the modern computer. Um, he had some personal problems. He was, he was gay in a time when that wasn't okay, and uh, and was uh, for this but um, but yeah so there was a character in Enigma they kind of got rid of him being gay I guess that was kind of inconvenient for their plot but um, you know that's, that's not so nice but um, yeah, another example of mathematician in fiction and, uh, ne- and next week on, on the science of fiction we'll, ha- we'll have uh, James Grime of the Enigma Project who may talk about more about Turing so thank you for listening thank you Trevor for joining us today thank you thank you and see you all next week